The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, so uh, if you're new to For the City Church, it's great to have you here. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke uh, since September. Can't catch you up, right? You, you can catch up. You can go online. You can, you can listen to the sermons and you can follow along. But we've been working through the Gospel of Luke and we've titled this sermon series A Feast for Failures. Uh, and you're like, why that? Well, listen to the other sermons. I can't cover all these things. But where we find ourselves this morning is we find ourselves in Luke chapter 7. But, but if you, the last two weeks, there were a couple things that were happening. And I'm going to summarize it as this. Jesus showed his authority to heal the sick, right? You remember the centurion's servant. And to raise the dead as he raised the, the dead son of the widow last week. And you're going to see today, I think, I hope, if I do my job right and you're paying attention, why those two stories were so important as we come into the text this morning. Remember, at the beginning of this chapter, I said it's very important that you understand. We're going to, we're going to break down this chapter, but you need to see it as a whole. You, you need to look at the whole thing to to really capture the essence of what Luke's doing here. Remember, he's writing for O. Theophilus, and he's explaining why he can have certainty on this good news of Jesus Christ, and he can trust that this is true. Well, if Luke was writing the Gospel of Luke for Theophilus, so he might have certainty that the things of Jesus are true, maybe that's why he's writing it for us too is that we might have certainty, that we might know, so that we can build a firm foundation, right, that, that can withstand the storms of life, as we talked about three weeks ago, right? So all that's just a way of introduction. Um, and, and one last piece, the thread that runs through chapter 7 is, is the word faith. It's the word faith. Uh, the centurion had faith that marveled Jesus. He was amazed by this man's faith. But the woman last week, we don't know if she had a faith at all. Jesus just did what he did, and he didn't ask for permission to raise this man from the dead. But I'm guessing in that moment, whatever faith she had, boy, it, it kind of went through the roof. All right? And now we're going to look at a man uh, who I think we would all say has amazing faith, and that's John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Um, so let's, let's, let's look. But before we do, let me ask you a question. Is doubt good or bad? You can answer out loud, but you can just answer quietly in your head, right? Um, think about it. Okay, <laughs> I love it. Gabe's always talking to me. I love it. 50-50. Uh, and, and actually, if I had to guess what Gabe's actually saying in that moment, it would depend. You don't have enough information to answer the question, right? And, and he's, he's absolutely right in saying that, right? There's not su sufficient information. There are times when it's, when it's good to doubt, right? To test things out. And you're like, like what? Well, I'll tell you. I had a cousin. He was not the brightest crayon in the box. And I would tell him if, that if he was here, right? So it's not gossip. He knows. He had two broken arms all summer long from riding on a horse that bucked him off and he tried to catch himself. The day he got his cast off, he comes to my house and he's hanging out and he's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to jump on that Tarzan swing. And I'm like, oh, I don't think that's a good idea. No one's even been on that Tarzan swing since I was like a wee little boy. He's like, it'll be fine. Takes off running, grabs the Tarzan swing, 
goes way out over, the Tarzan swing breaks, and he breaks both his arms again that day. It's a tough summer for this boy, right? You know, John Wayne said it, life is hard. It's even harder when you're stupid. <laughs> and, and so, so my man, he, you know, he's, he would admit that. He, he's growing up slowly. Um, so he should have doubted, but, but he shouldn't have doubted what I was saying. Do you see how quickly this works, right? So there's a, there's a bad doubt that stops us from doubting the things we ought to doubt. Wes should not have, I just said his name, he should not <laughs> have doubted what I was saying, right? And if he would have, he, he wouldn't have broke both his arms that day. Um, well, listen, even those with faith in Christ struggle with doubt on occasion. We do. You won't hear this often. You, you won't hear this often from the pulpit. You, you know, have faith. Yeah, have faith. Don't doubt. I don't know if I'd go there. I, and here's what I mean. Doubt's not necessarily a good thing, but God can use that to drive you closer to him into greater, more beautiful trust, more beautiful faith, more real, solid. He, he sometimes will allow things to happen in our lives to show us your foundation is not that tight. It's not that strong. And, and he's doing that not because he's cruel, but because he wants, to, he wants to slap some serious mud and concrete on that foundation just to strengthen it up. And there's many times he'll do things like this to cause us this, this moment where we've got to wrestle and we've got to press into him. And we find that he's more trustworthy than we could have ever imagined. And so now we, we come through stronger. But, but here are six potential reasons for doubt that the Bible gives. And there's probably more. You could probably think of more. Uh, but, we, you know, six is enough. Passions, passions, desires. Um, This is a reason why many people will doubt the Word of God, right? You may have a desire to to chase the American dream and to be very greedy. And and therefore, you doubt what Jesus might say about money, right? Because it conflicts with what you're hoping to do. Right? You may have a desire towards, um, let's say, a sexually immoral life. And instead of just saying, yes, that's, that's definitely what the Word of God truthfully says. That's what it says. It's very clear. You say, yeah, but what did it say 4,000 years ago? That can't be what it means now because Jesus is more enlightened. Right? And so you, you begin to doubt God's Word. But it's clear in the Word, you're not really doubting. How about, how about Satan? Satan can cause you to doubt, right? We see that early on in the garden, right? He, he, he takes the Word of God and he twists it just a little bit. And he causes Eve in that moment and Adam in that moment to doubt the goodness of God, right? How about, how about suffering? Going through a particular situation can cause people to doubt God's power and goodness. But it also can be a, a moment where it causes us to press in to know God. It, it's amazing how things like that work. Uh, disappointment. Um, this is similar to suffering, but it's, it is a little bit different because you might doubt God's goodness towards you because something in your life's not working out how you thought it would be, even though you've been very faithful and trusting to God and to, to his word and to his, his, his life. And, and yet you're like, but it's not working out. It's not coming together for me. So it could cause you to doubt. Uh, spiritual maturity is another one. A lot of by the way, I, before I say this, I know a lot of very strong, trusting, 
Christians in college. But a lot of times if there's a shallow faith and you go to college and you meet a professor who's, who's strong in their religion of atheism, right, and, and they start to say things, you can begin to doubt what you know to be true. And, and so you, you might have some spiritual maturity that would cause you to doubt. And, and then I think there's, there's this one, which I would just call spiritual drifting, where, you know, you've not been in the Word, you've not been attending the gathering of the church, you've not been praying, you've not, you're kind of glazed over, you, you, you look at a lot of TikTok, and I'm not saying that that's evil, I'm just saying it's not helpful often for spiritual vitality. You, you might be just watching and consuming Netflix all the time. You're not thinking. And so you're just kind of out to drift. And it's a subtle thing until you, you kind of like wake up and you look around and there's no markers of land anywhere to be found. And you're very far from God in that moment, right? So, so I think those are all potential reasons for doubting. So, so like Gabe said, maybe the question of doubting is not whether it's good or bad. Maybe it's neither. Maybe it's neutral. It's, it's how you respond in the moment. Maybe it's how you respond. And, and knowing that God can, can use this for, for ultimately even your, ultimately your good and growing your faith and, and challenging even your faith and testing your faith to come through on the other side even stronger. Well, I think you see that in our text this morning. I hope you do, right? So we're going to look at verses set. Uh, chapter 7, 18 through 20, verses 18 through 20. Let's look at that, and then we'll keep moving. It says, the disciples of John reported all these things to him, to John, right? And now John, just so you know, John the baptizer finds himself in prison, right? And, and so he's reporting all the things that they're seeing that Jesus is doing in that moment. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, listen to this, are you the one that is to come? Or shall we find another? He, are you the Messiah? That's what, that's what he's asking right here. Or should we go look for another Messiah? Right? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, Jesus, and saying, are you the one that is to come, or shall we look for another? Man, Jesus, you know, John's doubts about Jesus, I find very shocking. I mean, I find it very shocking when I consider that John was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. <laughs> right? that's, that's pretty impressive, right? He leaped for joy in his mama's womb when, when Elizabeth met Mary and they knew each other in the womb, which that's a whole other sermon that needs to be preached. He comes and he preaches judgment. I mean, do you remember John? comes on the scene. He's a wild man, right? He's a, you picture him. He's like a bearded up guy. I picture him with a beard. He had to have a beard, right? He's, he's got locusts hanging out his teeth. He's got honey dripping off his chin, right? He's got a, a, a leather suit, camel belt, and he's coming out and he's preaching and here's his message. Repent! That's how he would say it, right? Why? Because the Lord is coming, and in his hand is a winnowing fork, and he is going to separate the chaff from the wheat, and he's going to throw you into unquenchable fire. The, the axe is laid at the root. Repent. <laughs> then some people come, and, and, and he's like, who told you brood of vipers to come? He's not seeker sensitive, right? He is not a friendly fella. And, and yet, here he is preaching 
Now he's in prison and he's, he's wrestling. But then when I start to think about it a tad bit more, oh, don't forget, I mean, he was there for Jesus' baptism. He's the one who went and dunked him. And, and oh, what happened? Skies part. Dove descends in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Father from above says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. John, how are you doubting? But he is. He's doubting. Why? It's shocking, but maybe, maybe it's not. You've got to remember, John is, is preaching Messiah's coming, and what's he coming to do? He's coming to judge. He's coming to bring judgment. John's in prison because he had called out King Herod on his illegitimate sinful marriage. I don't have time to get into all these things, but just know this. Herod had married his one time, uh, it would have been his brother's wife. It's like Jerry Springer, right? And, and Jesus comes and he's like, not cool, right? John's like, not good. He's, he's preaching, like, listen, Herod, you need to get yourself right. And Herod's like, I ain't here now. And throw your butt in prison. That's my version, right? Um, and so he goes to prison. It's not a fun place to be. And now he's wondering, What's, what's going on? Because as I hear the reports, Jesus is going about and he's healing folks. He, he even raised this person from the dead. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. I'm in prison because I'm preaching judgment. And where's the judgment? Where is it? Not only that, but oh, by the way, I remember the message that, that Jesus preached. He's got to be thinking. And he said about setting captives free. Well, if you can raise the dead, why am I in prison? Now, I'm, I'm, that's a conjecture a little bit. I'm thinking about it. Why is he wrestling with doubt in this moment? Couldn't you just get me out of here, Jesus? And the answer is Jesus absolutely could. He could. Remember, John's whole ministry was built around the understanding of judgment. That's why he's calling people to repentance in the light of the coming wrath. And it doesn't look like wrath. Instead, Jesus just goes town to town and he's healing and he's full of mercy and he's love. And, and John's got to be confused. But, but know this. John, by the way, he is perplexed. He's perplexed in this moment. But notice that John knows where to go with his doubts. John goes to Jesus with his doubts. He doesn't allow himself in his head too much. He sends his disciples and says, go. Ask the Lord. I, I need to know. So in your moments of doubt, friend, go to the Word of God. Go where it's true. Don't go to the world looking for all the information. I'm not saying that you can't learn some things there, but, but the bedrock of truth for the Christian is the Word of God. And so we need to go to the Word. All right. Well, let's keep looking, because I think we're going to see more as, as this unfolds, this, this story in our text. Look at verses 21 through 23. So it says, In that hour... I love this. Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them. He's answering John's disciples. He says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. Notice he, he let out one pretty important piece about captives being liberated. <laughs> tough and 
blessed, listen to what he says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Oh my. Jesus is, is tough and tender here. He's tough because it's not hard to imagine that Jesus would just reassure John in the fact and say, yes, I am. <laughs> I am. Now, he does say that, but he's not just explicitly laying that out. And, oh, hang in there, John. Judgment's coming. You got it right. He doesn't do that at all. He, he doesn't let him off the hook in that sense. Instead, he doubles down on his ministry. He doubles down. He's, it's, it's the healing of ministry, of mercy, of healing. John, you got me right. You just got the timing wrong. It's really what he's saying. You look a little further. And he's actually driving him back to the Word of God, which is so kind. You and I all need to be driven back to the Word of God continually. See, Jesus is actually driving the home the point of the fact that he's, he's quoting Isaiah in, in these moments. He's got some bits and pieces from different sections. But he leaves out judgment in chapter 4. Now, John may not even know that, right? Because he wasn't there for that sermon. But here, he's, he's telling him basically an outline of the beauty of the salvation that is to come from Isaiah. And so he's pointing him back. And he, notice how patient and tender Jesus is as he simply points John back to the Scripture. And he's essentially saying, these very miracles that are causing you to doubt John are actually the evidence you need to think about because it's showing you I'm Messiah, it's showing you. You're, you're looking at this and you're doubting, but, but you're looking at it from a wrong angle and a wrong timeline. He's, he's saying, do you see? See, John was not wrong about on the facts. There will be a time of judgment. He was wrong about the timing. It's not time for judgment right now. Unless you wanted to say, Jesus is going to receive the judgment upon the cross. And nobody could fathom that. There's not one disciple walking with Jesus that's even got that in their frame of mind. They expect Messiah is here. He's the king. He's going to set up the kingdom. That means Rome's out. We're in. Life is good. Party it up. And John's like, well, what the heck? Why, why am I here? Why am I in this moment? It's, it's not the, the Jesus that John had expected. By the way, if we're not careful, then we can make the same mistake right now of making Jesus into our own image, right? Um, I, I see it all the time. <laughs> I see it all the time, especially on Facebook. That's where you get all your real good information. Just kidding. <laughs> but you, you got, let's call him hippie Jesus, right? I saw that this week. They were promoting that. But they're, they're using it in a derogatory way. Like he's just, he's, he don't love truth and he's wimpy and he's this and he's that. But then they're over here and I'm going to call them Rambo Jesus, right? You know, he's carrying, you know, nuclear missiles and he just wants to blow everything up, Death Star. And that's my Jesus. No, I like hippie Jesus. And both of them miss Jesus. But, but it's easy to be in your tribe. It's easy to be in your camp because it's safe there. It's safe there. But then we read the Bible and we're like, whoa, but Jesus is full of grace and truth. Well, it is truth and that is grace. Well, I don't know, the way you're talking, I don't know. I, I'll let the Lord handle that, right? But, but we can make Jesus into our own image. And we have to come to the Word of God every time and let the Word of God crush our false images of a false Christ and have 
the word of God inform who he is because he is who he says he is through the word. And if that bothers your theology, then change your theology. Too many times we come to the word of God and we're like, well, that, that doesn't fit my theology. So, so instead of you saying, I guess I'm wrong, you say, I'm going to go find someone who agrees with me. And you can find anybody online who will agree with you. You'll be like, well, this guy agrees with me. Well, he's wrong too then. It's why you, sometimes I get into a conversation with people I really love and I'm in a great conversation with and I'm just kind of a little quick with my tongue sometimes because I know they can handle it. And they'll, they'll say, well, well, that's just not what it means to me. And I say, and I say very quickly, you've probably, some of you have heard me say this, I don't, I don't care what it means to you. I don't. What's what it means to me? I don't care. I don't care what it even means to me. I only care what is true. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. And let the word of God be true and let me be a liar. Otherwise, you're, you're worshiping a God that doesn't exist except in your head. Now, none of us have perfect theology. Get over yourself if you think you got perfect theology. <laughs> but we want right theology. You can't have solid theology. You can have a good, when I say theology, quit that language, a right understanding of who God is. It's, it's orthodoxy, right? Straight. You go to the dentist, ortho, right? To get your teeth straightened out and fixed. Well, we want to have a right understanding of who God is by his revealed word. He tells us. Why? Because he's way greater than anything you and I could ever distort. So I'm always just trying, Lord, show me who you are in your word. Help me to see. Jesus won't always meet your expectations. He just won't. Does it bother you? He, he won't meet. And often he'll shatter them so that he can help you see him more rightly. So that's point one. Ready? There's a kind of doubt that arises from suffering that actually draws us to Christ in order to be comforted and strengthened. He may not do for us what we would want a Savior to do. Um, he may not exactly return when we want Him to. <laughs> you know, he, he may not take away cancer from someone we deeply love that we want Him to. He may not actually restore a broken relationship the way that we want to, no matter how much we've done, no matter how many times we've prayed. That's why we have to continue just to come to Him and ask for mercy, ask for help. We must let the Word of God in that moment have its way with us and not us with the Word. That's how you get false teaching. Is you, you must have the, let the Word have its full effect on you. Not come to the Word of God and, and you have its full effect. On, you, you have it on it. Right? I'm going to say what it says. Not really. I'm going to say what I want it to say. Right? You see, that? Jesus may in the mystery of his sovereign love decide that it's best to display his power and his grace in your weakness rather than in your strength. There's times that the miracle that he's doing isn't raising the dead. It's letting the dead be dead and letting you wrestle with that. It'd be much easier if he would just do what I thought would be right and good. Yeah, but then, then you're God. And, and he won't have that. You know why? Because he's free. 
He's totally free. God is totally free. You cannot put him in your debt. You, you can't. And you wouldn't, it wouldn't be good if you did. But here's the thing. Following Jesus does not always go the way that you would expect it to go. But don't be surprised about that. You're going to see that all throughout the Gospel of Luke. It, you'll be perplexed at times when you come to the Word of God. And you just let it have its way. Following Him, though, will always be worth it. Following, getting to know the real Christ from the Scriptures, always worth it, right? Um, even though there might be times it'll cause you to do things that seem a little bit strange, like your kid just dies, you're weeping your guts out, and you say with Job, even though he slay me, I will hope in him. My God is good. And people might say, no, your God's not good. If he was good, why would this happen? I see it all over the internet right now with all the shootings and all the different things. If God was good, why would he allow this to happen? You're creating doubt in your mind in that moment, and I now need to go back, and I... I've had that moment. Have you had that moment? If not, you're not being honest. You're really not. If you say, no, I've never doubted like that. I'm more concerned about you if you say that than, than with just your, just your stomach's turning. You're like, I, I know this truth, but oh man, help me believe because this doesn't make sense from my limited understanding. You're going to doubt. There are churches that won't allow that. They won't allow that. They won't let you wrestle. And so everyone continues to doubt internally. They just don't share it. They don't talk through it. They don't work through it. They don't have a brother or sister come and comfort them with the truth and pray for them. I'm not saying let them wallow. But I am saying this is going to happen. It's going to happen until Christ returns and our faith becomes sight. You're going to have these moments. We need to know what to do when they come. There will be times where people will doubt your faith because of your doubt. You may have had that happen in a weakness, in a moment of weakness. Someone says, well, I don't even know if you love Jesus. It hurts. It hurts. You've got to know who to go to. And even they're going to disappoint you. But if you go to Christ, he'll never disappoint you. Not in that way. Oh, he will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering little flame flicker wick. He won't snuff it out. He'll, he'll just gently fan it back into a flame. Why? Because he's good. He's good. That's what he's doing with, with John right here, right now. He says, John, blessed, oh, so happy is the one who's not offended by me. He's given a little bit of a challenge. This is a lot different than the, the Beatitudes or the blessings that we saw last chapter. This is, fight the good fight of faith, John. Don't be offended by me because I'm not lining up with what you thought reality would look like in this moment. And you'll be blessed. I'll uphold you. I'll not let you go. Stay strong. Spoiler alert, he does. He does. All the way up until he had his... His, um, I was going to say something that would be a little bit more, but we have younglings. He had his head, you know, separated, removed, put on a platter, went to be with God in glory. Okay? But he stayed strong. He needed that word right there. Now, let's keep looking, though, because there's more text here. Verses 24 through 30 now we're going to look at. 
When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds. Now notice, he's not talking to this, John's disciples now. He's turned his attention to the crowds. And what does he say? Here's what he said. To the, concerning John, right? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, you will prepare, who will prepare the way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. Now, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, I love they get their own little category, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves not having been baptized by him. Man, what a good friend Christ is. What a good friend Jesus Christ is in this moment to those who are honestly doubting. He, he actually comes along and he defends his friend's name, right? Because you can imagine it, like, man, John sent his disciples to Jesus to see if Jesus is the Messiah. What a loser. I thought he was like the guy. I thought he was like the prophet. Shouldn't the prophet know? And we laugh at that, but we do that with, with people we love. In their moment of depression, doubt, suffering. So we should not be so quick to always assume we're the good guy in the story. You're not always the hero of the story. Jesus is. And so he, here, here he is. Jesus is showing he is, he is a great prophet. But, but notice Jesus' posture. He's patient. He's gracious. He, he points back to the truth that was once confirmed. He, he wasn't turned off by John's sudden doubts. He calmly gives assurance that he is indeed the Messiah, and then he actually defends his friend's name. <laughs> God, what a good friend we have in Christ. But he's not done. <laughs> Look at 31 and 35. Because remember, so he, he tells the, the crowd and the friends and the disciple, John, yeah, he's, there's so much to talk about there, and we can't, by the way. He's the greatest man ever born of woman. We're like, uh, Jesus was born a woman, <laughs> like, right? And, and he throws this whole thing on its head and he says, but hey, even though he's great, those who are least in my kingdom are actually going to be greater than him. And by the way, that's anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Why? Well, I can't get into it all, but I can tell you this. It's because those who are in the kingdom of God will have seen Christ crucified, had seen Christ resurrected, had seen Christ go and be ascended to the Father, and now have the Holy Spirit of God. And you will have prophets and priests always offering up the Word of God to people. Right? John the Baptist is the last prophet. Jesus is the perfect prophet. John's the last prophet of the Old Testament. And there's no more like him ever to come. Well, I know this prophet who was in Murraysville, and he was... <laughs> Not thus saith the Lord prophet. That, that's ended. That's ended. Why? We have the Word of God. Now, 
I'm getting off on a rabbit trail. I'm going to end that. Thank you for self-control, Lord. All right, 31 <laughs> through 35. Let's look. To what then shall, we, shall, shall I compare the people of this generation? So Jesus, whew, he is savage, Levi, right? He, he says, what shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? Okay, here's a description. Well, they're like children. And we're like, oh, that's a good thing. He always talks about children in a good light. Hang on. They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We have played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. It's a little cryptic. Um, what is he saying? Well, Jesus has a little ditty for them. He has a little ditty for the Pharisees and for the lawyers. And he, he's systematically describing the problem of the Pharisees and those who are unbelievers in the crowd at that time. To say it straight, you're, he's saying, you don't like judgmental John. He's too rough for you. He's not tender enough. Oh, but you don't like joyful Jesus either. Nothing makes you happy. You're like a bunch of spoiled children. <laughs> not my Jesus wouldn't say that. Well, this Jesus does, and this is the only Jesus that exists. John's too weird, right? It, Jesus is too wild. There's no way to please you, Jesus is saying. Oh, and he's going to build on that for for many, many chapters to come. You don't want to be pleased, he's saying, because you're so entrenched in your own self-righteousness, your own self-sufficiency, your own stubborn, sinful ways, you don't actually want light because you love darkness. He'll go on to say in the book of John, because, oh, by the way, you have a dad, and my father's not him. You're all sons and daughters of Satan. Satan's your daddy. That's why. <laughs> like, whoo! He's lighting them up. Because but even in that, don't ever think that, oh, he's being rude. No, he's being loving. There are different tools for the job. Sometimes it's a scalpel and sometimes it's a sledgehammer. And it appears as though Jesus in this moment wants to shock them with a little bit of sledgehammer work. But he's loving them. You and I, though, we don't get to do that. <laughs> This is where people say, yeah, I'm going to go have a ministry of sledgehammer. Uh, sledgehammers for Jesus, right? And, but you're not Jesus. You, you don't see people's hearts. You don't know if they're doubting or if they're stuck in unbelief. So you come tender and you seek to listen. And then you pray, Lord, whatever instruments needed for this person, you'd bring it. But save them. Help them see. Right? Jesus is saying this in regards to the unbelief that's in Israel at the time. Nothing will satisfy it. Why? Because Jesus isn't the king they expected. Jesus isn't the king they wanted. But here's the thing. Jesus is the king that they and we all need. He's the suffering servant. He's the one who's going to crush his enemies by being crushed in their place. It's wildly different than anything they would have ever expected in that moment. 
And we wouldn't have expected it either. And so that's the second point. There's a kind of unbelief that arises from stubbornness that drives us from Christ that results in death and destruction. That's a scary place to be in that moment. If you've ever spent time seeking to to be a, a faithful evangelist, what do I mean by that? Someone who explicitly shares the gospel and gives someone an, and calls someone to an opportunity to respond to the good news that you just proclaimed, then you know that this kind of spirit of spoiled child, there's nothing that will make me happy, is alive and kicking in our day and age. You, you can present the word and they're just so hard-hearted and, and they'll give you a thousand reasons why they're doubting. They're not really doubting, they're, they're stuck. they don't want to believe. They don't want to believe. They're in the domain of darkness. They have no desire to hear anything you say. You could present that truth perfectly. And here's the thing. You and I have no power to resurrect the dead. We're at the absolute mercy and grace of God to cause that person to hear this good news and to believe this good news by faith and to repent of their sin and begin to follow Jesus Christ. You and I don't have that power. We're an instrument in his hands. We, we engage in that process. But sometimes you could think, well, I don't know what I did wrong. You might not have done anything wrong. They don't want your Christ. They want their sin. And, and so some will find reason to doubt and not to believe no matter what you say. They might even say to you, you're just too serious. You need to lighten up, Right? Or you might meet someone else and you'll be like, I never heard this. You're, you're, you're not serious enough. You need to get real. That can happen in other cultures. See, our culture generally struggles with the judgment of God, right? He just, I don't know, he just doesn't seem like he's all that kind and sweet. Oh, he sent his son to die in your place. Is that, is that kind? Is that loving? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know if I believe that, and Right? Our, our culture struggles with judgment, Jesus. But I can tell you right now, there are other cultures that struggle not with judgment, Jesus. They struggle with the mercy of Christ because they struggle to believe that God could ever forgive some people. Nothing will please you. You, you can't separate the judgment of God, the wrath of God from the grace of God. They both come together beautifully on the cross. Oh, he is severe. Oh, he's full of grace and love. This is who he is. We need to get our minds right from the word. You can hear it even alive when, when people talk about churches, right? That preacher's too much full. Fire and brimstone. He raised his voice today. <laughs> that, that preacher makes too many jokes. I, he made me laugh. And I didn't like it. Because laughter is not for those who love Jesus. Or you could, you'd have someone say, that church is just a little bit too worldly and a little too welcoming. They hugged me. <laughs> that church is too exclusive, too condemning. It, it's, it's, like, it's, it's like Goldilocks. I just need my porridge just perfect. And, and you stay at home and you don't listen, you don't go, you don't engage, you don't think. And you say, and it's, it's everyone else's fault. No, it's, it's your stubborn. You have a stubborn heart. Here's good news. I had a stubborn, dead, evil heart too. Jesus loves to give new hearts. 
Why? Because it's what he does. It's who he is. Right? So, so you could come to him with all your doubts. You can come to him with all your stubbornness. And what you'll find is, is a merciful God who delights to save sinners with stubborn, evil, hard hearts. Why? Because it's all there is. It's, it's all there is. You're like, well, my heart wasn't all that bad. It was. Hang out with me. I'll convince you by the end of the day. I'm busy right after church, though. Make an appointment. Jesus summarizes his point in the last verse. Look at it. It says, Yet wisdom, or God's way, is justified, proved to be right by all her children. You want to know? Look at, look, at his, look, at, look at the church. Right? They're wrestling through these. Those who listen to John's command to repent and to believe, those who have listened to Jesus' words, seek to align themselves with God's purposes. Wisdom is shown. Wisdom is shown. It's not your perfect theology that saves you. It's a, it's a perfect God. But we need to see Him rightly, right? Are you honest about your doubting? That's the question. Uh, know this. It actually takes doubt. Or it takes faith to doubt Christianity. Do you ever think about that? It, it takes faith. A little. I'm not saying saving faith. Don't hear me wrong. But it takes a little bit of faith to doubt. This is why people like to say, I'm an atheist. I don't, I don't believe at all. But if you're like, oh, man, I'm doubting, that's, that means you believe there's a, some semblance of truth here. And you're working through it, maybe. But know this. Elijah doubted. John the baptizer doubted. Thomas doubted. I mean, I could go down the list, and I could just say everyone except Christ has doubted. And you might say, well, what about in the garden? I want to be careful about that, so I'm not going to say anything. That's what I'm going to say about that. Um, he did not doubt sinfully, but he was wrestling. I would say that. I would say that. What do you do, though? What do you do in that moment? Oh, and one more. How about this one? After the resurrection of Christ, the disciples were on the mountain with Jesus. He's giving out marching orders on sharing the gospel with the world, talking about how he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Go make disciples, therefore, baptizing them in my name and Father. Make sure that they obey all that command. Do this till I return. And whoa, whoa, listen, I'll be with you. And it said right before that worship service began, some even doubted. He was dead, nailed to a cross. Now he's alive, and you see him. And they doubted. So don't be surprised if you doubt. What do you do when you doubt? That's the question. Great question. Thank you for asking. Number one, we got to go quick here. Admit and confess your doubt. Say it out. Say it out loud, right? Not right now. Think about who you say that in front of. Remember, right? Because some people like to play whack-a-mole or, you know, homie the clown comes out of the closet and smacks you a little. <laughs> but you can confess it to God. You can share it to Him and you can share it with those who will comfort you through His Word or even challenge you. Pray. Lament. A third of the Psalms, a third of the Psalms are written with doubt and lament. Read the Bible. Read your word. Come to truth. Go to church. I'm serious. This is such a big one most people skip. They wrestle all alone. Or they wrestle with some preacher online. And they don't have anyone to talk through it with. You need one another. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Right? Be a part of a body. And not just on Sunday, but really connect. 
Read and listen to people who will help you think critically. Uh, C.S. Lewis, stand to reason, countless others. Let your soul and your mind be shaped by truth. Right? I, like, I always get worried saying stuff like this because I don't want you to be like, oh, he's just a crotchety old fellow. He don't even have Netflix. I have Netflix and I watch Netflix. But sometimes you need to turn Netflix off and turn your brain on and, and listen to things that make you think, that cause you to wrestle, that cause you to work. But listen to good folks. You're like, well, I don't know who's good. Ask Kevin, ask me, ask people you're like, I look at their life and their life seems to, to resemble what Jesus is talking about in the Word and see what they might have to say. Don't listen to every person out there. Probably won't be helpful, especially if you're not discerning and you're struggling to even understand what truth is, right? Hey, hey oh, I'm deconstructing my faith. I don't know if I believe all this stuff. Follow me. And everybody's like, tune in. Would you ever do that? Hey, I don't know where I'm going and there's a cliff in front of me. You want to follow? No, you want it, right? But, but do those things. Let me ask you a question, too. Are your family and your friends doubting? So sometimes you might be like saying, I'm in, a, I'm in a season where I feel strong in my faith in Christ. How about your family? How about your friends? Can you come alongside them? Can you help them? Can you bring light of truth into the conversation? We live in an age where everyone's doubting everything. They're doubting things no one's ever doubted. They're doubting reality, and they're confused. You know, they got their feet firmly planted in midair, and they're getting blown every which way, in every which direction, and they're struggling to understand even the things they see. Will you engage that? And you, or will you just say, man, what a bunch of dum-dums? Will you engage that? How do we help them? Here's a couple thoughts. There's so many more, but I hate sermons with tons of lists. But here's a couple, right? Humbly listen and be patient. Open your ears. Ask good questions. Grab coffee. Have real friendship with them. Invite them to your home for dinner, but listen to them. Don't come with all your quick answers. How to help my friends who are doubting. Gotquestions.org. One, two, three. Boom, boom, boom. Do you believe yet? No. Okay, you're not coming back next week. <laughs> Comfort and challenge. Find something in the, what they're saying that you can focus on and say that's a gift of grace. That, that you're there. Highlight it. And then challenge them. Challenge them. Cause them to doubt their doubts. That's a good thing. It's a kind thing. Live in love, church. Listen, I think you guys do this. Live in love in such a way that they want the gospel to be true. We have an absolute right and privilege to make the gospel stunningly beautiful to the world. And even as they doubt, they say, oh, I want that to be true. I want that to be true. I so desperately want what they're saying to be true. I want the beauty that, that they are representing. But can I tell you, most often, that's not what people see. I, I mean, I, I'm so embarrassed at times by the way people represent Christ specifically on Facebook. They think apparently because it's not in real life that they can just be out there with all their little death bombs to the world. Aren't you embarrassed? 
Who are you even talking to? And then all that comes along are all the people who just pat them on the back and say, go to give them truth, bro. It's, it's embarrassing. Stop. It, it takes much more grace, patience to actually get to know the person who's out there and struggling with things that aren't true. That'll cost you. It'll cost you because you're going to have to open up your heart. You're going to have to open up your, your mind. I don't mean like to, to believe lies. I'm saying you're going to have to actually be attentive. You're going to have to love them. And guess what? They may never love you back and they may never love Christ. Well, the question is, will you still love? You don't love to get a result because if you love to get a result, all you're loving is you. You love your result. It's about you. Oh, so you can have have a trophy on the wall. Let another one to Christ. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. And then also just follow the other five suggestions. Pray with them. Get in the word with them. Right? Bring them to, to meet some of the people in the church body. Right? That's enough of that. Let's let's be reminded of some good news here. The book of Jude, baby Jude, one chapter, um, it's a profound chapter. I want to draw on, on just a couple of texts here. here here's the thing. The, 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 the text is talking about contending for the faith, fighting the good fight of faith, to trust, to believe. And, and here's what Jude 1, 17 through 23 says, and then we're going to hit a hard pause and we're going to look at 24 and 25. And then we'll finish out. I'll pray and we'll continue in our service. He says to the church, but you must remember, beloved, right? That's how you know he's talking to those who are trusting in Jesus Christ. The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, right? In the last days. We're in those last days. We've been in there ever since Christ ascended to the Father. There will be scoffers. There will be following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause division. Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. He's saying those who don't believe. But you, church, believers, right? Beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Listen to this language. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Fan the flame of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of what is true. You have a responsibility to fight the good fight of faith, to contend, to keep yourselves in the love of God. You're like, oh, that's messing with my theology. Hang in there. Let it mess with it. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So you've got to keep fighting when Christ returns. And then listen, and have mercy on those who doubt. You're like, well, where have you been getting all this be kind to people who doubt? The Bible have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To, show, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Meaning those who are in sin, I mean, uh, hating the sin, being patient and merciful with those who are entangled. But don't get tangled in it with them. Okay, hard line right there. This is what we do. And now it's like, it's like Nike Jesus, right? Just do it. But then he keeps on talking. And he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. <laughs> this is such good news. 
to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Gosh, I love that. Jesus like, here they are, Father. This my people. These are our people. Great joy. Oh, no, it's, it's uh, here they are, Lord. They're not that exciting. Most of them doubted, like all of them. No, great joy. Here they are, Lord. Here are the ones I died for. They're ours. They're, here they are. They're yours. To the one, only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Listen, he says to keep yourselves in the love of Christ. And he says, oh, Jesus will never let you stumble. Does that, rest, that make you, like, that don't make sense. Don't, don't compute. Let me tell you right now, I've said this before, it's my best example that I have in an earthly state. My little girl Sarah at Kennywood got out of my, she didn't get out of my view, I got out of hers. She's in traffic with all these people. She gets terrified. She's like, Dad, Dad, Dad. I go over, I gently grab her hand, she white knuckles me. And I got her. She's gone nowhere. She, she thinks I'm the one holding on to him. It's my strength that's keeping her. But she's grabbing. That's how faith works. You, you have a right and an obligation to keep yourselves in the love of God. And know this, if you're in Christ, the love of God will always keep you. That's <laughs> such good news. Because if I could lose it, if I could lose my grip, I'd be gone. I'd be gone. And so would you. It is not your amazing strength of faith that will keep you to the end. Yet, grab hold. Grab hold. Why? And know, oh, he'll keep you. He will, he will keep you. Thankfully, Jesus is so patient. He's so strong. He's so secure. Right? That we come to him and what we find in our seeking is that he's actually seeking us. What a great Savior. I, I just need to say this this morning, and then we're going we're gonna to enjoy the Lord's Supper. So much of this sermon was for the church, those who believe. But, but I, I definitely want to take just a moment this morning and, and say this. If you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want, I want you to hear explicitly some really good news. Right? And you're like, at first it might sound a little bad, a little rough, but hang in there with me. Know this, God in his kindness has created all things. There was a time there was nothing except for God. And he spoke all things into existence and he is glorious. And he has created you to have life with him. Okay? Now, you may not be familiar with the Bible, but if you are, what you'll know is there was a great break in that relationship between God the Creator and humans made in His image. And humans rebelled against God. We wanted nothing to do with Him. So what we did is we turned our back on Him. We did not want to be dependent upon our Creator. We wanted to enjoy His creation. We wanted to worship all the things He made. And we wanted nothing to do with the God who made them. And that's evil. 
And it's rebellion. And because of that, the, the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. It's death. And when, when the Bible says death, it means, yes, a physical death, but it also means an absolute separation from us and the Creator who made us and who loved us and who's even sustaining you now while you deny Him. And that sin separates you in a real place called hell. And it is eternal. And that is horrible news. You're like, well, I don't know if I believe that. You can doubt it. You can doubt it. But it will not change the reality of the stunning reality of that torment for eternity. It won't end. It won't cease. And that's terrible news. But God, in His kindness, He sent His Son to save sinners like you and I. He, he sent Him on a mission to seek and to save the lost. And his mission was this. It was come and to live the life that you and I could never live. He was going to perfectly and did perfectly obey God the Father. In all the areas we failed, Jesus succeeded. And then he went to the cross. It, it's not generally a piece of jewelry we, we get excited about, especially in Roman times. It was a place where you were going to be crucified. A great place of punishment, a great place to suffer, a great place to die. It would be excruciating, the pain. And Jesus, willingly, for the joy that was set before him, went to the cross. No one made him go to the cross. Jesus was sent on a mission to love sinners who deserve the wrath of God. And he willingly went to that cross to receive the wrath that you and I deserve because we've sinned against God. Jesus never sinned against God, and yet he willingly goes and he stretches out his hands in great love, in great mercy, and he receives the wrath that we so desperately deserve. He becomes sin, so that sinners like you and I could, by grace and faith, receive a gift of righteousness, a perfect life, a perfect record, and forgiveness of all our sins past, present, and future sins. And Jesus receives that wrath in our place willingly because He loves. And He calls everyone, everywhere, to repent of their sins and to trust the good news of Jesus Christ who went to the cross to save sinners like you and I. And because He had no sin, He resurrected from the grave, defeating Satan's sin and death in our place. This is why we have eternal life. It's why we have the hope of eternal life. Why? Because Christ lives forever. And he says, now believe me. Believe in this news. I don't have all my answers. I have a little bit of doubt. Trust me. Trust me. And, and, and here's the thing. The good news does not end there. Why? Because Christ is going to return. And he is going to rip open the sky. And when he steps back into human history in that moment, he is going to judge the living and the dead. And those who are in Christ have been kept for eternal life with Him, to enjoy Him forever. And those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ and have refused the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of sin, He will judge you. And you will be found guilty. And you will spend eternity in a real place called hell. And I get no joy telling you that. He gets no joy doing that. But he has to do it because he's a just judge. And so he does. Oh, but how patient has he been. The fact that you're here this morning, the fact that you're hearing my voice, 
And he's calling you right now, today, to believe. To trust him. To say, oh, I've, I've sinned against you. Father, save me. Forgive me. And believe. And trust him. Confess. That's my encouragement to you if you're not trusting in Christ. I know that many of you, most of you, are trusting in Christ. To you, be comforted. Be comforted. It's finished. Now keep fighting. Keep fighting. Let me pray. Father, thank you oh, for your steadfast love that never ceases. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the good news of Jesus that saves sinners like us. God, help us to continue to contend for our faith and to love you. Thank you for holding us. Continue to just reveal more of your love and your grace to us. Help us to be more like you, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.